Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property, it's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on Fantasy Baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. Alcantara, Soroka, you look so good in Boca. Peralta, Manoa, Balsak, Ferrer, Nola, Gilito, Castillo, Yoshida, Mosusuka. Welcome in to Fantasy Baseball today on March 1st. Frank Stanfield joined by Scott White and Chris Towers. Today on the show, we're going to break down Chris's unique Tout Wars draft, our latest prospect spotlight, and your mailbag questions for those watching us live on YouTube. You might be wondering, why the heck are they doing a Kokomo Friday on Thursday afternoon? Well, we have an early flight tomorrow, Chris and I, so uh, we did have to record a little bit earlier today, but... Nonetheless, it is a Kokomo Friday, and let's just jump right in, and uh, Chris, we'll talk about your Tout Wars draft, a 15-team, 5x5 Roto League, with a twist, with multiple twists, OBP instead of batting average, innings pitched instead of wins, and saves plus holds instead of saves, which completely changes the draft board, I'll pull that up in just a second, for those watching on YouTube, you can check it out, um, for example, you took Juan Soto third overall, Logan Webb, Aaron Nola, Framber Valdez all went in the third round because they project for around 200 innings. No relievers drafted until Devin Williams in round seven, which is fun. It's it's a very unique format. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think it was it introduces a lot of interesting wrinkles. I think specifically OBP is fairly straightforward. I, I think the pitching side though introduces a lot of really interesting changes that you have to make to how you think about things. And I'm not a hundred percent sure I landed it. And the one thing I want to say is I've been playing in this league, I think for four or five seasons now. And this is the first time it's a 15 team league. It's been a 12 team team, 12 team league in the past. And 
that really changes things because it's been, you know, like you said, closers go a lot later, but it's been easier to find closers in this league than it has in the past. This year, it's it's hard to balance innings pitched and safe plus holds in a way that makes sense. And I'm not sure 100 percent that I did it right. So it's an interesting draft and I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, we'll talk about your team in just a second. We did get two related questions via email uh, to a league like this format. So uh, the first one is from a listener named Mike. I play in a 5x5 category league and have the third overall pick. We made the switch from average to OBP this year and wondering if I should still take Julio Rodriguez or Bobby Witt or make a play for Juan Soto with his ridiculous OBP. What do you guys think? So, Chris, you took Juan Soto. Scott, welcome. You are here on the podcast as well. Let's talk to you. I am. Uh, would you take Juan Soto third overall in OBP or still take the massive steals output of someone like Bobby Witt or Julio Rodriguez? So I've been asked this question a couple times already, this draft prep season. I, I may have heard from Mike actually on Twitter. And I gave, I gave the two people I've heard different answers. I originally, <laughs> I, I told the first person, yeah, I mean, the stolen base output is so massive from Witt and Rodriguez that I'd probably still take them. But I thought about it some more, and their OBP, especially Witt, especially mm-hmm. Witt, Witt, Witt didn't even have a 320 OBP last year, so he is, particularly by early round standards, a uh, big liability. He's a negative, yeah. Yeah, uh, and, and then Julio Rodriguez isn't great either. I think I would go Juan Soto instead like Chris did in this draft because he he gives you such an advantage in on-base percentage. And it's harder to find on-base specialists than it is steals specialists. It's, it's harder to... Like most, most of the big steals guys are low OBP guys. It's it, I don't know why that is, but it is the way it is. So if you're going to take a hit in OBP anyway, chasing steals later... Like that's the scarcer category to fill early is I guess what I'm trying to say. And and Soto fills it in a significant way. And you don't even have to worry about if he has this huge resurgence season with the Yankees, like so many of us predicting, you know, he's going to get on base a ton. And uh, I think that's the better way to go. If you wanted to try and split the difference, I, I think you could make an argument for Corbin Carroll who was close to a 370 OBP last year. Obviously not up over 400 like Soto, but he could give you a, a much better OBP than than uh, Julio Rodriguez and especially Bobby Whitwood, and he would still give you that massive steal total. That is, if you're not too worried about the shoulder. And the thing with Juan Soto is the last two seasons, he's had a 401 and a 410 OBP, and those were relatively disappointing numbers for right. him. You remember 2021, he hit 313, which was the best batting average of his career in a full season, 40 points better almost than he did last year. He had a 467 OBP. And the thing about Juan Soto that makes him so much more valuable in an OBP league is not just that he projects to have the best OBP in baseball, but you get the full value of that. Whereas with even if Juan Soto hits 300, it's a relatively less valuable 300 because of how much he walks in a roto league. He's only getting, I don't know, 550 or so at bats because of how much he walks. You only get the credit for the walk for the, for the at bats in a regular head head or a regular roto league. So 
He's mm. even more valuable in an OBP league than you're used to an elite batting average source being in a regular Roto League. And I'm seeing now Bobby Witt went 14th overall mm-hmm. in this draft. So um, I guess <laughs> I guess the 12 people picking between 2 and 14 came to the same conclusion <laughs> that I ultimately did and, and that you did, Chris. And, and this actually gives me hope because I'm probably going to be picking 14th in my own Tout Wars draft, which doesn't have as many twists and turns as, as yours does, Chris, but it does have OBP instead of batting average. So yeah, I, mean, I, might, I might come away with Bobby Witt. That, that kind of makes me excited. I'm looking at the bat X projections, and in an OBP league, they have him as the 13th most valuable hitter. So okay. that, that, that's pretty much exactly where he went. I think there was one hitter who went ahead of him who wouldn't, or who is ranked ahead of him who, wouldn't, who didn't go ahead of him, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much right where I think he belongs in this format. Let's get back into your team, Chris. And your first four picks, you took Juan Soto. Again, you were drafting third overall in a 15-team league here. Juan Soto, Luis Castillo, Corey Seager, and Bo Bichette. You also wound up with a bunch of injury discounts. You got Seager at pick 33, who were hoping mm-hmm. to be ready for opening day. Josh Young at pick 148. Kodai Senga at 153. So talk to me about your early round picks, what, what, we're going, what was going through your mind, and uh, some of these injury discounts that fell to you. So one, I got sniped both on my second and third round picks, which was frustrating. I I literally, the pick before me, I was hoping Vladimir Guerrero would fall to 28. He's not usually someone that I'm drafting this year, but I did write about him on my all FOMO team. Uh, I did get some emails. Apparently some people don't know what FOMO means. Fear of missing out. Uh, It's just guys that I can't, I don't want to not draft. And I would have gladly taken him at 28. I had to settle for, Luis Castillo, who is a should be a very good source of innings, uh, lingering doubts about that shoulder issue from 2022. But other than that, he's been a very, very good source of innings. I think that's the only time he's missed a start since getting to the majors. And then I really wanted Francisco Lindor at 33rd overall. He went off one pick ahead of me, and I I don't know if I would say I settled for Corey Seager because he could be very, very good in this format, but I would have preferred Lindor. So Seager, a, a little bit of a settle there, but I, I'm, I'm happy with the way the first few rounds went. Obviously, Soto and Seager, very, very good OBP guys. Bo Bichette, much less so, but still not a bad OBP. And um, I, I think he makes sense there because I am expecting a bounce back in stolen bases. I know Scott and I disagree about that. I think, the, I think it was a knee injury that he was dealing with last year really slowed him down. I would expect more like 15 to 20 steals than what five like he got last year. Mm -hmm. And he was dealing with that injury again last year. So there is a chance that Bo could bounce back and he's a lower OBP guy, but you have so much OBP built in with taking Juan Soto in the first round. So Mm -hmm. you can afford an okay OBP guy. He doesn't walk much, but he gets for such a high average. That's exactly right. So let's just run through the rest of your team. And again, for those watching us, you can see the draft board here and uh, start off with your hitters. You got Travis Darno and Tyler Soderstrom at catcher. You do have Henry Davis waiting in the wings, mm-hmm. so hopefully he will gain that catcher eligibility early on. Your infield, Ty France, Cattell Marte, Corey Seager, Josh Young with Bo Bichette 
as your middle and Michael Bush at corner. Then in the outfield, Juan Soto, Josh Lowe, who we just learned has been shut down for the next six days due to left hip inflammations. The one time I draft him. (laughs) Look, this is part of the problem with drafting early is obviously things could still happen in spring training. The rest of your outfielders, Nick Castellanos, Jaron Duran, and Jung Hoo Lee. Thoughts on the offense? I think it's a really strong offense um, in an OBP league. Probably, if I'm light anywhere, it's probably stolen bases. But given, you know, like I have high expectations for Duran. I think Josh Lowe's a 30 steal guy. I think we can get there. But if this toe injury slows Duran down at all, I think stolen bases are going to be a problem. But otherwise, I feel very good about it. I think Josh Young ended up falling to the 10th round to me in a 15 team league. And I'm just going to draft Josh Young in, in every league. It seems like, cause I have him in TGFBI as well. I really like the value there. Um, I'm not too concerned about this calf injury. So I think he was a really nice source of cheap uh, power and I'm pretty happy with the hitting side. It's the pitching side where I think, I don't think it's bad. I think it just, it kind of went sideways on me in a couple places. So let's talk about that. Your pitchers, you got Luis Castillo, Max Fried, Kodai Senga. Again, you got uh, around pick 150, 153. So a bit of a mm-hmm. fall on him. Gavin Williams, Nestor Cortez, and Luis Severino as your starters. Your relievers, Ryan Helsley, Pete Fairbanks, Jason Adam. And you do have Edward Cabrera and Yariel Rodriguez on the bench. So one thing I noticed when looking through this draft, Chris, is... Where you took relievers, I do wonder if maybe you should have just continued to like stack up starters yep. and then just wait and take whoever was there at the end of the draft, you know? I mean, the fact that it was saves plus holds. And- so that's the thing, though, with saves plus holds is you either have to, especially in a 15-team league, but I think in, in, in any saves plus holds league, you either have to take two closers or you have to start three relievers. Right, because the elite closers are going to get you 35 saves, hopefully, or more. The elite holds guys, the high, high end guys only get about 30 and more like mid 20s. And so, to be able to compete, you do have to have more of them in your lineup. And look, you're going to change that throughout the year, but just Mm -hmm. as a general rule, to be able to compete, if you're just going with holds guys, you probably need one more of them in your lineup. And that's where. In this format in particular, with it being innings pitched, I needed to either get a couple of more, like you said, in that Ryan Helsley, uh, Pete Fairbanks range. A couple more starters. A couple more starters that I could count on for innings, or I needed to just go two or three rounds earlier and take some elite closers. And look, Ryan Helsley and Pete Fairbanks could both be elite closers. They Mm -hmm. certainly are on a per inning basis. It's just they are... Exhibit A and B among closer injury risks. Yes. So are they are they actually going to give you the kind of saves totals that would uh, prevent you from having to start a third reliever most weeks? Probably I not. Know. I don't know. Yeah. Um, At yeah, least while and, they're active, they will be. But yeah. Well, when you first shared this team with us and you were, said you were worried about the pitching and I, I didn't know it was innings pitched instead of wins. And mm-hmm. so I'm seeing... Uh, Luis Castillo, Max Fried, and Kodai Senga is your top three, and and obviously you're 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 having to hope Senga comes back sooner than later. But yeah. if if he does, I mean that sounds like a good top three by conventional 
15 team roto standards to me, but uh, among pitchers of their ilk, Freed and Senga mm-hmm. are probably going to be poor innings sources because Senga gets his start. Uh, obviously, he's going to miss some time with injury, but beyond that, he, he gets his start spaced out a little more because mm-hmm. he's used to pitching every uh, once a week in Japan, every week, right? Every every six days. And they've, every, they've said that that's going to be the plan this year, even when he's healthy, and, even and before then, the injury. And then Freed... Uh, I mean, obviously, he missed some time with injury last year, but he's never had he's never had even a hundred. So he's weird because he threw 185 innings, I think, in 2022, and he averaged six and a half innings per start. I'm pretty sure, but so his issue is not necessarily going deep because he tends to be pretty efficient. And last year, when he came back from the injury, I think he pitched. You know, he was throwing 95 plus pitches pretty regularly. It's just yeah. the injury risk is significant there. Only once even 170 innings in his yep. career. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, I mean, they, Freed especially, like a win specialist is, is kind mm-hmm. of how I think of him. Could put the Braves offense there, but um, with innings replacing wins, his value is diminished. And yeah, um, I'm a little concerned about your pitching. Balancing balancing innings and saves plus holds. That, that was the biggest thing in this. And then obviously that's a very small subset of leagues, but that was much more difficult in the switch. That was the most difficult thing by far in the switch from 12 to 15 teams that I was not necessarily expecting. And I think if my team went sideways anywhere, it was there because I do like, I, I like Nestor Cortez and Luis Severino as sleepers. Even in a best case scenario, I'm probably not going to get a ton of innings from them. I probably could have used like Gavin Williams actually for a young pitcher, I think has a pretty solid innings projection if he you know stays healthy and effective because i think he threw like 150 last year between both uh the majors and the minors but yeah i I think i probably could have used frankly like a boring jose barrios type or something like that but he went 110th overall it's so interesting to see those guys get pushed up right like chris bassett went in the eighth round you know you know who you took who you could have taken before barrios went 110th that that's the pick uh, no, this this pick you made right after Barrios went. Never mind. I was going to say Nick Castellanos, mm-hmm. um, who I'm not sure you really needed because you had two outfielders already, yep. and he's a he's an OBP liability. Yes. He's somebody who loses value in OBP leagues. So that seemed like a splurge where maybe a pitcher would have been better. Couldn't have been Jose Barrios because he went eight picks earlier. But. Honestly, I think what I should have done, and it's easier to say this in hindsight now that Josh Lowe's hurt, but if I had not taken Josh Lowe and I had taken... I know a lot of people are out on him, but Dylan Cease has never missed a start at the major league level. He's going to be a good source of innings and, and a lot of strikeouts. It's just a question of ratios. Mm-hmm. Um, I I, th- I had him hoping for an eighth round pick where I took Nick Castellanos instead. Mm. Yes. So, he w- so he was available, Cease. He, he was available when I took Josh Lowe. In the oh, seventh okay. round, yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, uh, just a couple of stray thoughts that aren't specific to Chris's team here, unless you had a comment on Chris's team, Frank. No, I was just going to add where you took those three outfielders in a row, Josh Lowe, Castellanos, Jaron Duran. You could have taken like a Merrill Kelly who went a little bit later on, or even like a Jordan yeah. Montgomery. I know we're still waiting on him, but yeah, it's just like something to keep in mind. If anyone yeah, plays in, in innings pitched leagues, like just kind of boring guys like that, you try to wind up with like one or two of those guys in, in the middle parts. So the, my stray thoughts here were the fact you got Corey Seager in round three of a 15-team OBP league. 
I think that's a steal. I, I, uh, you, you didn't, because you took Juan Soto with your first pick, it maybe wasn't the best fit for your team. I, mm-hmm. I know you pointed out, but just for the general person out there listening who plays in an OBP league, I mean, Corey Seager is a 400 plus OBP guy, uh, potentially. And, and those aren't available yeah. late as late as round three, even usually. And so I, I think it's a, I think it's a, it's kind of a blessing in disguise that he's had this uh, sports hernia surgery recovery for those leagues specifically. And uh, you should take advantage of that. The other thing I wanted, since we've kind of backed into this Josh Lowe injury, I was reading about it before, right before we went on the air here. You guys actually pointed out to me that it happened. It slipped by me. They don't sound that concerned. It, it, I think they're just shutting him down for a couple weeks and opening day is still the expectation. So I wouldn't freak out and lower Josh Lowe a bunch in your rankings. I'm not going to anyway. I mean, obviously, if after a couple weeks he's still not playing and there are concerning reports, okay, maybe. But I, right now, I don't think it's... Like, I would be more concerned about Josh Young's calf still than even though the injury's a little older, just given the nature of the injury. I'd be a little more concerned about that. All right, again, that is Chris's unique Tat Wars League, and you can read that uh, read more about that on the website, cbssports.com slash fantasy slash baseball. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. So this one came in from Tim on our Apple Podcast Reviews, and he wanted to hear about Christian Scott, a starting pitcher in the New York Mets organization, Tim added, quote, with the injury to Kodai Senga, I'd love to hear your thoughts on Christian Scott. He was probably going to make starts in 2024 anyway, but now will almost certainly have more of a role with Senga missing time. Worth noting, the Mets did say that they won't rush any of their pitching prospects as a result of the Kodai Senga injury, but I do think that we will see Christian Scott at some point this year regardless. 24 years old, big right-handed pitcher, 6'4", enjoyed a breakout season last year, 257 ERA, .86 whip, 107 strikeouts, over 87 and two-thirds innings, did get up to 12 starts at AA. Definitely older for the level, pitching at high A and AA last year, but Scott, we'll start with you. Your thoughts on Christian Scott, pitcher with the New York Mets. Yeah, this was somebody who caught my attention around the middle of last season, and it I, I was surprised we weren't hearing more about him. It, it seemed like it took a while for him to show up on on all the prospect gurus' radars. And I, I think that's because he was mostly a reliever in college, and, right. and the Mets were transitioning him to this starting role, so he started out so far down the rankings that um, he had to work extra hard to get people's attention. But... He certainly did with his performance. Um, he showed both elite control and elite bat-missing characteristics. So his strike rate last year was 69%, which is about as good as it gets. And his swinging strike rate was 17%, which you'll occasionally see higher than 17% in the minors, but by major league standards, that's 
you know, not, I think maybe Strider was better than that last year, but it's, it's, it's considered elite. And so he's combining those two things as Christian Scott and he's taking on, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't one of those situations where he was going three, four innings and looking, taking on the workload of like a glorified long reliever. He was taking on a true starters workload and he was putting up those kinds of numbers and he was doing it, uh, you know, he reached double A. It's not like he was a 24 year old overpowering a bunch of kids who had never seen a changeup before. His changeup in particular is a really good pitch is Christian Scott's, but it, it, it was effective even at, once you got into the higher levels. And, um, I, it, it's, it's the sort of, it's the sort of pitching prospect. Christian Scott is the sort of pitching prospect where, you know, it's not like he's Paul Skeens and, anything short of an ace outcome would be a disappointment. I mean, there's there's a wide range of outcomes for somebody like Christian Scott, but I think when pitching prospects in general don't always come from the highest pedigree guys. Like, I mean, ace pitchers in the majors don't always come from the highest pedigree prospects. And I think Christian Scott, the the underlying numbers are so impressive that it's, it's possible he becomes that. He's also, um, I'm reading right now, he's working on a sweeper. His slider has been more of a gyro, you know, hor- or a vertical break pitch. He's adding a sweeper to his arsenal. So only makes the, the strikeout upside, you know, even even more realistic, I guess. Not necessarily higher because struck out a lot of guys in the minors. But yeah, has a, you know, has a chance to even add to that. And Chris, it seems like a 2024 debut is inevitable, right? Because the injury mm-hmm. to Kodai Senga, Luis Severino is injury prone. Adrian Hauser feels more like a depth SP6, SP7 uh, on most teams. It's hard to pinpoint exactly, but when do you think we could potentially see Christian Scott in the majors? I mean, he already got, what, 60 innings at AA last season. So I think once you reach double a you're always a good month away from getting called up and he had a couple of really good months so i would guess he starts out at triple a and he's probably seventh on the depth chart maybe sixth so it's just a question of if no it's a question of when one of sean Manaya, tyler mcgill adrian hauser luis severino i mean jose can like this is looking like a pretty bad rotation right now there will be a need at some point, whether it's injury or performance related. The all new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all wheel drive, standard third row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together. And nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. As long as Christian Scott can continue to pitch well in AAA. Again, that is Christian Scott, starting pitcher prospect with the New York Mets. 
And remember, if you want to hear about a specific top prospect on a future mailbag, leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Drop the prospect's name in the review. Before we take our first break, reminder to sign up for our FBT newsletter, cbssports.com newsletters, or you can scan the QR code if you're watching us on YouTube. And we have another bonus, Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, coming out this Saturday. Make sure to download and follow FBT in 5 wherever you listen to this podcast. Let's take our first break. When we return, your mailbag questions right after this. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back in. Let's answer some mailbag questions. First up, Apple Podcast Reviews, and this one's from Tim Likes Tacos. Don't we all? Where does Shohei Otani rank in a daily lineup dynasty startup? Seven by seven categories with hitter strikeouts, OBP, quality starts, and home runs allowed. I pick sixth. Is it crazy to take Otani there or go with someone like Juan Soto or Fernando Tatis? This is interesting for daily lineup dynasty leagues because we know Otani is not going to pitch this year, but in future years, the hope is that he will go back to what he did before being a hitter every day and then pitching every fifth or sixth day, however it works out. Uh, so in leagues where you can use him as both a hitter and a pitcher, we've often said Otani should be the first overall pick in that format. Um, does it change at all yeah. in Dynasty? What do you what do you think? I, I mean, the, inj- the injury, the, the fact that he's not going to get to do that now and that may be coming off a second major, major elbow surgery, we can't be totally sure what kind of pitcher he's going to be, I guess. But I, I still, in a Dynasty startup where you're, you're anticipating keeping Otani for years to come, I would, mm-hmm. I would still say he should be number one. So you'll be lucky to get him at number six. Mm-hmm. And if he's not there, who would you guys prefer between Soto and Fernando Tatis? Okay. What were the extra categories? OBP and hitter strikeouts. Soto. Probably Soto, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think so too. This next one's from Jotham B. The league I'm in is a 5x5 five five Roto, 23-round draft, allowing a max of eight National League players. Wow, that is interesting. How should this 8NL player max impact my player rankings or draft strategy? My first year, last year, it seemed like most of the league waited longer on National League players and wound up with a 15-8 split. Obviously, that is the most that you can have. Um, First off, it's a really weird rule. Uh, I would say don't let it it affect the early rounds and make sure you find sleepers you like in the American League. Yeah, I mean, we get questions with weird rules like this all the time. And we got one, I think last week where you couldn't draft an AL central player or something like that. Um, something like that. I, yeah. My thought would be any elite NL players. If there's any kind of discount on Fernando Tatis, Ronald Acuna, guys like that, take it gladly. And yeah, just focus on your AL sleepers. But I think, if there's any kind of early round discount on NL players, I would take advantage of that. Get eight really, really good NL players and just make the rest of your roster about the AL. All right. This next one is from LaFleur2023. I'm in a head-to-head categories keeper league with five keepers. 
If we keep a player, we lose the draft pick based on Yahoo ADP. If we have multiple players with similar ADP, we lose the next round draft pick. I'm keeping Julio in round one, Tatis in round two, Trey Turner in round three, Garrett Cole in round five. How'd you manage that? Uh, Who would be your fifth keeper? Nolan Jones in round six, Luis Robert in round six, Anthony Volpe in round 10. Wait, Garrett Cole's ADP in Yahoo Leagues is round five? I don't know. I mean, I, I, <laughs> he technically is keeping four players who have a borderline first round ADP. Uh, so I guess they just keep uh, moving down. But why wouldn't he be round four? Yeah, why wouldn't it be round four? Is my I don't know. Yeah, um, maybe a typo. Who knows? I prefer Luis Robert to Nolan Jones. Agreed. At the same cost. Yeah. Uh, uh, standard five by five. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. Luis Robert. All right, this one's from B Mulk. I play in a daily head-to-head points league with seven max starts allowed from our starting pitchers for our weekly matchup. However, some players in our league are super valuable because they are SP slash RP eligible. Guys like Matt Strom, Javier Assad, and Carlos Hernandez because they don't count as starters, but you can tack on more points throughout the week. Who are some of the... Uh, Guys, this year I can draft my last picks that have SP slash RP eligibility and will be in the pen when the season starts. So, this gentleman is looking for our PASPs. So, the reverse of SPARPs. Relief pitchers with starting pitcher eligibility. Some names that I found on CBS. Nick Martinez, if he doesn't make the Reds rotation. John Brebio at the White Sox. Sean Armstrong with the Rays. JT Chargois with the Marlins. Ryan Walker with the Giants, Scott Alexander with the A's, the aforementioned Matt Strom with the Phillies, uh, Brennan Bernardino with the Red Sox, Shintaro Fujinami with the Mets, and Caleb mm. Ferguson with the Yankees. So that isn't the, a murderer's row of relievers by any means, but we usually do get some form of this question where people are looking for, I guess, that kind of cheat code, relief pitchers yeah, yeah. with SP eligibility. Uh, I've well, got a couple, Sixto Sanchez is if he makes the Marlins roster and is healthy, he's going to be a relief pitcher. He's out of options, so they're going to have to do something with him if he if he's healthy enough to pitch. And Yadier Rodriguez for the Toronto Blue Jays is SP eligible. They're giving him a chance on the Blue Jays to make the rotation, but <laughs> it sounds much more likely that he's going to pitch out of the bullpen, and he could absolutely be a multi-inning reliever for them. Now that we've given some names, I just want to point out a lot of these names are probably not worth <laughs> using for this because there's there's only a non-closing reliever. He has only so much upside in an appearance when he's not getting saves. And so they have to be like pretty clean innings that he's giving you. Mm-hmm. And certainly like Shintaro Fujinami, I wouldn't, I wouldn't count on that. That was fun last year. Remember, I thought that guy was going to be a thing that <laughs> didn't really work out, but I'm still rooting for him. Let's let's go, Fujinami. On to your emails, fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. That's the letter I. And a quick reminder, try and keep your emails as concise as possible, short and sweet, get to the point. We are getting a bunch of emails right now, so it's, it's really tough to get through the longer that they are. I get some leagues, you need the details. I get that, but uh, let, let's try and make it Quick, whenever we can. This one's from Dan. Any interest in Chase Silseth as a deep sleeper or more of a streamer? Scott, I know towards the end of, uh, I think, SP Preview Part 3, you just kind of quickly brought up his name towards the end of that podcast, but is there anything you'd like to uh, elaborate on with Chase Silseth? Yeah, I was impressed by his strikeout upside down the stretch last year, 
and it's been a while since I've taken a deeper look at like the pitch breakdown. Um, the slider and splitter, splitter are both pretty good swing and miss pitches. Um, yeah. Yeah. So he was, he was emerging as somebody who, who seemed like he could be a good source of strikeouts. And I think, didn't he season end early with some kind of injury? Here's the thing though. Here's the thing with Chase Silseth. The Angels are reportedly in on Blake Snell. They're reportedly in on Jordan Montgomery. And I saw some reporter, I can't remember who it was, saying the odds are good that they'll sign one of them. So presumably Chase Silseth would be the one bumped if that were to happen, which doesn't mean he won't have an impact at some point this year. I mean, no team makes it through the season with five, with just five guys making starts. But... um but yeah, it's it's it, in most leagues he can Chase Silseth can probably go undrafted and and just keep just keep him on your scout team. I would say I do hope the Angels make a move. They could use a, an anchor at the top of that rotation there, but at the expense of Chase Silseth, Tyler Anderson, we can get him out of here, right? right? <laughs> I, I, I've seen enough from Tyler Anderson. I agree, but I, I yeah. imagine he'll get first dibs. Yeah, so Silseth in the second half, he had both a 10 strikeout start and a 12 strikeout start in which he had 21 swinging strikes. So I think mm. there is some intriguing upside there. All right, this next one's from a different Dan. Watching y- Yamamoto's first innings and the broadcast did comment on being able to see his grip from the center field camera, though what I saw was the fact that the ball is not hidden for half of his delivery. I feel like pitchers used to do that. I randomly remember or misremember Sid Fernandez and or uh, I guess that would be Ron Darling doing that, but have since gone to hiding the ball as long as possible. Do you think this is something that is going to be a problem once teams really start scouting Yamamoto? Also, just because you can't use cameras during the game doesn't mean they couldn't later compare the camera angles front and back. This would help hitters identify what the pitch is from the way the glove is presented with position or whatever. That said, he looked awesome. Chris, any thoughts here on uh, Yamamoto's first outing? I can't say that it's not possible that he either tips his pitches or doesn't hide them well. I think if it was an issue, like they also have high speed cameras in Japan. I, I think if there was a way to exploit it, he wouldn't have had an ERA literally less than half the league average over the past three seasons. So I'm not too concerned. I, I think it's, uh, I mean, all the, the stuff models suggest Yamamoto is immediately one of the most talented pitchers in baseball. He's got great command. I see no reason to, to fade him. Okay, this next one's from Matt. Hi, Willie, Mo, and Pena. That's Willie Peralta, Mo Vaughn, and Jeremy Pena, obviously. <laughs> How do you know when it's time to cut your aging superstar for young up-and-comers in a keeper league? I can keep two out of three. Arenado, Jesus Lazardo, Grayson Rodriguez. Are these young pitchers worth cutting Arenado, who's been on top for so long? Uh, well, obviously, that's one part of the question, but we do get some version of this question often, where it's, how do you weigh... Uh, a high floor aging superstar who's done it for so long versus, you know, some of these young up and coming either pitchers or hitters for that matter. Mm -hmm. I I think it's totally dependent on how much turnover is happening Mm -hmm. in your league. If, if this is a basic, you know, 10, even 12 team league where every team keeps three players, then I don't, I don't think you need to be so long-term minded Mm -hmm. because you're up it there. The draft pool is so, robust every year 
that you'll have plenty of chances to get younger guys in the future. And I think you should just keep the three players who you think are going to help your team this most. Uh, help your team most this year. Um, and then it, it, I'm not saying I'd never pass on an Arenado for a, for a younger player, but they'd have to be pretty closely ranked in mm-hmm. my regular redraft rankings for me to do that. Um, I think I'd keep Arenado over Luzardo, for instance. That wouldn't be a particularly difficult call. Now, if it's a deeper league, if it's you're keeping 10 players, 15 players or more, your entire roster, if you want, very different story. And uh, you have to approach it as if any player you throw back, you can't reasonably expect to get again. And so I can't give you an exact guide for, okay, it's time to move on from Arenado and hold on to, um, uh, let's use Junior Comanero as an example because it's an easy example. Like if it's a prospect that high end who you think has that bright of a future, yeah, in a, in a, in a league where there's not much roster turnover, you, you're definitely throwback Arenado for that guy. But if it's Nolan Arenado versus, I don't know, Brett, Beatty, or there's probably a better example than that because I think that might actually be a pretty close call, Arenado and Beatty. What about like Colt Keith? I mean, it's the same thing. But but yeah, I think you probably keep Arenado over Beatty and and Keith. It and it it kind of depends how deep the league is. One thing I want to add is, especially when you're comparing an aging hitter to a young pitcher, as Scott said, you know, you don't want to be so future minded when it's a shallower keeper league I think just in general like you can't I I love Jesus Lazardo I think he's super talented I don't think you should think three years down the road with Jesus Lazardo in basically any format because there is so much that can go wrong for a pitcher like him and even Grayson Rodriguez who doesn't have the injury history that Jesus Lazardo does it's just there's no such thing as a pitching prospect works both ways and it's they come out of nowhere and they go nowhere very quickly and very unexpectedly. So I think the the longer the horizon is when you're talking about a player's value, the less you should value any given pitcher. I also want to say, just to prevent any emails, Uh-oh. we know who Willie Mopena is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Scott, the emails are fine, not, man. Not em- the Beatles. Embrace the but chaos. Willie Mopena. <laughs> I love the chaos we get from these. Um, with that being said, I am just higher on Lazardo than you guys, so I, I would keep Lazardo and Grayson Rodriguez just because I, I have both of them ranked higher than him this year, but completely reasonable if uh, if you do like Arenado more than Lazardo this season. This next one's from Kurt, and uh, yes, I remember reading this one. I think we're probably going to need Chris's help most on it. Hello, I am significantly older than all my league mates, and they have no clue what I'm talking about with the creative team names I think of. My team name last year was Joe versus the Volpano. This year is in my salary cap league. I'm keeping Nolan Jones for $2, also keeping Josh Lowe for $3, and Cole Reagans for 5 I'm debating two names that I'm sure they won't get, and I would love your input. Input. Me, E-E-E, and Mr. Mr. Jones. Keep those doggies, Nolan. Rawhide. I'm assuming that's the Counting Crows song, Chris? No. Mr. Jones, or is that something completely different? Well... There's, yeah, there's, the way he says it, I think, is me and Mrs. Mrs. Jones. Oh, so okay. I think gotcha. that's what he's going for. All right. 
That, yep, that's nah. fair. Because the role, the Counting Crows song is Mr. Jones and me. Right. So different, yeah. yeah. I, I put think, that in reverse uh, order. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, I liked Joe versus the Volpano better than either of these team names. I think yeah. it's a step back. But they're more likely to get number two, I would I would think. I don't know what that, what is number two? It's Rawhide? You, you don't know Rawhide? No, I do. No, rolling, I mean, rolling, rolling. Keep those doggies rolling. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> All right. Sounds familiar now, but... Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I would be one of those people in your league, by the way, who has no idea what your team name is. So yeah, my problem, like you said, Frank, you said that like I'm the the person asked here, but like I really like intentionally bad puns. So like my first thought, and and this is I admit horrible, but my first thought was no country for old land because you're splitting Nolan Jones into oh, two. Gosh. Yeah, no, that, that right. I'm not. I'm not happy about who I am. <laughs> but that's, that's like just, a, that's like what was Heath's team name in the podcast league all those years ago? Yasmani Money Tomas Problems. God, <laughs> um, uh, he was so proud of it too. I, I was also thinking with Josh Lowe and Cole Reagans, and again, I want to s- stress that I do this, and I'm not proud of it. Uh, but maybe something like, <laughs> I'm sorry, Doritos low coal tacos. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, great talk. I'll give you credit because you're coming up with these off the cuff, which is <laughs> right. very hard. But Underrated but taco <laughs> shell, by the way. <laughs> oh, I had one the other day. Are you kidding me? The gordita crunch with the Doritos taco shell inside of it? Amazing. Oh, so good. So I'm good. Not, free, I'm not a big fan of the Locos tacos. Free advertising no. here on the podcast. All right. Well, uh, good luck, uh, Kurt. Uh, you know, Choose to go with one of your two or, or one of those amazing team names that Chris came up with. Let's take our final break. When we return, more questions here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Welcome back in. This next question is from Mark. Starting pitcher ERA is up and incredibly volatile, and the offense is also up. That said, we are out of the juice ball era, and we have fewer 300 hitters than ever before. When I do our deep dive on hitters for fantasy, I feel like it's not as deep as you would expect with this uptick in offense. Are we just seeing the increase in runs and stolen bases? Can you explain the disconnect here? Disclaimer, I am not using any hard data on this, but this is just my inclination based on being way too obsessed with fantasy baseball. We have fewer 300 hit. Wait, how many hitters is he talking about? That said, we are out of the juice ball era and we have fewer 300 hitters than ever before. Like I'm three, not sure. 300 batting average hitters. So like ERA oh, oh. went up last year, but we don't necessarily feel it right. on the hitting side. And that's true because I, I remember when you looked into what you needed to compete last year, Chris, mm-hmm. it's not like home runs are not up. Obviously, it's stolen mm-hmm. bases are way up. Runs scored are up. But well, it's not like bad bad and batting average actually didn't climb as much as we thought. Oh, they climbed when, a lot. They climbed over ten points. Babbitt did. No, I think I think it was only like five points year over year. Uh, I'll double check that because my it climbed, but I I feel like it was something we thought earlier in spring training and earlier in the season, and then it kind of just. I, I remember you said that, and I disagreed with you at the time too. But it's literally right fun. in the middle of you guys. It's seven points. Seven points. Okay. All right. It's not nothing. Okay. Um, and and look, look, we had a guy hit 350 last year. We had we had some high batting averages. So I don't know that batting average. I mean, look, batting average have been trending down for a long time because strikeouts are 
going up, and I'm not sure that trend is going to reverse anytime soon. So if that's specifically what you're zeroing in on, uh, okay. Uh, my impression of the hitting pool has been different. I think there's, I, th- I mean, we've talked about it. I think all the infield positions are very deep. There's more than enough to go around in leagues that don't use corner infield and middle infield spots, which hasn't been true every year. Um, there is, if you're talking about overall production, uh, what the floor is for a viable starter in fantasy, I think league trends are bringing that down too because there's more like specialization. There are more player splitting time and, um, you know, lineups are less stagnant overall. So, you're you're seeing more variation in lineups from day to day, which is again dragging down the floor for what a usable player is in in a in a league where you go deep enough into the player pool for that to matter. But I, I think this year compared to last year, compared to what we're looking at last year when we were coming off a big resurgent year for pitching, I, I think it's much better. So I just I reject your claim, sir. This next one's from Edward, wondering about the Dodgers starting pitching rotation this year, next year, and beyond. I am not an L.A. guy, but it seems like having one to two Dodgers pitchers is always a good idea for a fantasy team. There are about 29 starting pitchers on their roster. Tyler Glass, now! Like, ow. Uh, Yamamoto, James Paxton, Clayton Kershaw, Walker Bueller, Bobby Miller, Emmett Sheehan, Dustin May, Tony Gonsolin, Otani, Gavin Stone, Ryan Yarbrough, etc., Wondering who are key guys to target in keeper leagues now and in the future, and who are the key guys to roster this year, where to draft them, who to stash away, etc. I will point out one thing that I've read recently that Gavin Stone was tipping his pitches last year, and he's bulked mm-hmm. up in the offseason. He's kind of figured out some things. He's working on some new pitches, and he is someone that was a big-name pitching prospect, big numbers in the minors, does rely mostly on a changeup, so I worry a little bit about those pitchers and how they translate to the majors, mm-hmm. but if he's tinkering with the pitch mix, the Dodgers are an elite organization in terms of pitching development. I think Gavin Stone as like a cheap option in a keeper league and just kind of taking a shot later on, it, I think that's totally fine. To yeah, him and, him and Emmett Sheehan, I think, are, are the two cheap guys that you want to target in a keeper league, whether it's with the Dodgers or if they get traded, I think both those guys, I mean... Over the last two weeks in NFBC leagues, Gavin Stone's ADP is 611, and he's been drafted in 54 of 108 leagues. So he's going to be real cheap to acquire right now, and I still think there's a lot to like about him. He's a super talented pitcher. Um, And Emma Sheehan, you know, same thing. He wasn't great last season, but the individual pitches all look pretty good, and I think he's got a a chance to figure it out. And... Specifically with Emmett Sheehan, it seemed like he really turned the corner over his last three appearances. I can't say starts because one was technically out of the bullpen, but it was a multi-inning appearance. Mm-hmm. Obviously a small sample, but um, he just looked he looked more, hit, more like the dominant pitcher we saw in the minors. A 190 ERA, 0.73 whip, 15.8K per nine. 23% swinging strike rate in those three appearances. And he had a, like a 20% swinging strike rate at double a uh, early in the season when he first was appearing on our radar. And, you know, I was, I was talking about Christian Scott, 17% swinging strike rate earlier, how impressive that was. Sheehan was doing 
well above that. So um, I'm especially excited about his upside for fantasy this year. You know, I think there's going to be so much moving pitchers in and out of the rotation and management of innings that I'm just not sure he's going to have a chance to make a huge impact. But if you're talking long-term, love Sheehan's upside. A little less certain how things are going to play out for Gavin Stone, but he does kind of deserve a pass for last year. Um, for, for the reasons you mentioned, Frank, there was a pitch tipping issue. There was also a blister on his big toe in spring training that kind of messed up his delivery. And, and so um, he was dealing with the mechanical consequences of that all season long, which is why his minor league numbers weren't up to where we saw them in 2022 even. But, uh, but yeah, Gavin Stone, not a lost cause yet and worth a second look. Just thinking out loud for next year, my speculation is that it would be Otani, Glasnow, Yamamoto up top. James Paxton is a one-year deal. Kershaw, I guess you can never rule it out, but I think we're getting closer to the end. Really, would like Walker Bueller is a wild card. Don't know what's going to happen this year. He's entering a contract year as well. Mm-hmm. I think my guess is that he probably will not be on the Dodgers this time next year. So I think Bobby Miller as the four, and then... Again, it's like some combination of Sheehan, Gavin Stone, and all these other young guys who could, you know, work in in the future, Dustin May, Tony Gosselin, but that's just me kind of projecting for next year with the Los Angeles Dodgers. This next question is from Pete. Question, can you guys please do a better job of covering head-to-head points leagues on your podcast? So I wanted to talk about this because this is something that Scott and I actually talked about offline the other day. I, I do think that, look, we could always do a better job. It That's fine. But... Just comparing to the other, like the rest of the industry, no one talks about head to head points leagues. And I'm not justifying us, but we are the only ones that ever talk about head to head points. I, look, mm-hmm. our first inclination, I think, is like when we talk about a player, our minds go to roto or categories. We love playing in points leagues. We try to work it in as much as possible. The truth is, we have an hour every day to talk about mm-hmm. a lot of things that are going on. And it's just, it's just kind of tough to fit, fit yeah. everything in. So I think Scott. I think Scott's primary focus is points leagues when he when he analyzes players more so than than mine, certainly. Yeah, no, I mean, before Chris was on the podcast, this isn't like a blame Chris thing, but it's, 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 it is my it's just the way things have evolved before Chris was on the podcast. I, I, I feel like I, I feel like categories leagues and, and roto leagues got second shrift because we were so points leagues league focused and um and so we've kind of gravitated more the other way because so much of the talk within the industry is categories focused. As you said, Frank's like most people don't even bother with points leagues, which I think is a shame because a lot of people play points leagues mm-hmm. and it's deserving of its own unique analysis. But we do give it that. I mean, when we're evaluating, most of what we do here is evaluating players. There's some, there's some amount of strategic talk and I always enjoy the strategic talk even more. Uh, but you can only go so far with that. Most of what we're doing, the day-to-day stuff, is here's a breakdown of this player, what's going on with him lately, what his upside is, etc. And that's applicable across all scoring formats, obviously. When there are distinctions between his points league value and his categories league value, we make them, mm-hmm. I feel like. It's pretty rare that we don't bring that up. So, um, I, I don't know. I, I, I think... And, and, and obviously we do like the, the standard podcast league. It's a head to head points league. We're going to do a live draft of that on the air. You're going to get tons of points league talk with that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I just don't know how much further we reasonably can go with it. 
Yeah, it's not to, uh, I'm not just like singling you out, Pete, because we do hear this a lot in terms of emails and, and people tweeting at us and stuff. Again, it, it, it is tough because we only have an hour and, and we try to work it in as much as possible. I, I thought this was interesting too, and this isn't the only data point, but I put out a poll on our YouTube community tab uh, the other day asking which fantasy baseball format do you play in? And 4,500 votes, 19% Roto, 42% head-to-head points, 39% head-to-head categories. 58% of the people who you know, voted on this poll on YouTube, they play in a categories league. So I don't know that that's mm-hmm. the exact breakdown, but my guess no, is it's, it's probably closer to 50-50 with a slight lean towards categories. That would be my guess. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, that, that would have been my guess even before that poll. And, um, and look, head-to-head points league is my favorite format. It's, it's why the, that, that original podcast league is set up that way. It's why the Scott White Dynasty League that we're always referencing is set up that way. I, I love it. My longest standing uh, home league, Keeper League, is head-to-head points. Yeah, so I'm, I'm happy to... I'm always happy to venture into points league territory. But um, I, I, guess, I guess I'm curious... And you could follow up with this email, Pete, or anyone else who has the same complaint. What specifically are you looking for? Well, that's I, the I thing is that it, we're denying you points leagues analysis. It, it's a little more straightforward in how you value players, right? It's just mm-hmm. like, obviously every player, the production and the shape of how they get their points is different, but it just comes down to who gets the most points. And then you want the guys with the most points on your team and you want to score more where in Roto and categories, there is just more room for nuance in how you value different players. And so I think that it just kind of lends itself to more robust discussions. You know, how you value a stolen base guy like Estuary Ruiz versus just a pure power guy like Kyle Schwarber. Points leagues don't have as much room for that discussion, I think. So I, I think that's also it just kind of, naturally lends itself to to more discussion. But that's not me saying one version or the other is better. I think like whatever you enjoy playing is the the best format for you. But Mm -hmm. just in terms of discussions, I think there's just more room for for it on the the category slash roto side. Let's wrap up with this question from Dan in Albuquerque. It's, I guess, more of a suggestion about a segment. I'd love if you could do a segment devoted to teaching us all how you research. We could do a whole podcast on this, but yeah. again, it's we could just quickly run through some of the things that we use. They say if you give a man a fish, they'll eat for a day, but teach him how to fish and they'll eat forever. Share with us what sites you use to get your numbers, which are the easiest to navigate and manipulate data. Are there certain industry guys you follow to get the fastest injury updates? So on and so forth. So I will just say I am uh, infamous for having way too many tabs open on both of my computers at all times, but... The ones that I frequent the most are Fangraphs.com and BaseballSavant.com. And Fangraphs, you can find what feels like anything that you're looking for there. Mm -hmm. There's player pages. You can look at specific stats, splits. You can look at game logs, and you could sort it by specific dates. And anything that you're looking for there, there's stat cast data, there's strikeout rate, walk rate, there's surface level numbers, there's deeper numbers. And they do have a glossary that explains things too if you want to figure out okay what the heck am i looking at so fan graphs for sure baseball savant has really evolved over the past couple of years they give out stat cast data use it a ton in season to look at 
box scores where you could see pitch mixes and, and velocities and, and what people are doing differently and how many swinging strikes they're getting. So uh, mm-hmm. there's many different things that you can use. I would say Fangraphs and Baseball Savant are the two that I use it's, most. It's a triumvirate for me. It's those two, Baseball Savant and Fangraphs, and it's also Baseball Reference, which isn't as... Uh, big on the advanced stats, the the you know exit velocity readings and the ground ball rates and all of that. But if you're just looking for baseline stats, I, I think that's the easiest to navigate. Mm-hmm. If for no other reason than because if you go to a player's game log, you click on the and, and you're looking for his stats over a certain period of time, you click on the start starting point of that span of time and you click on the ending point of that span of time and it calculates the stats and gives you the numbers you're looking for. So I I probably spend more time there than anywhere with the exception of maybe savant because that's that's obviously where you get all that exit velocity and hard hit rate and all of that stuff Fangraphs is probably third in priority for me because baseball savant uh has taken a lot of the stuff it did well and done it better but um but it still has its uses um I'm trying to think specifically what. Well, Fangraphs also just their content's really good. They have really smart writers, so I learn a lot from reading their stuff. Um, sure. Pitcherless, their pages, their player pages are really useful. That that's one that they've redesigned over the past couple of years, and and the ability if you want to dive deep into a pitcher's arsenal, they they have it set up so you can tab through. You know, I'm looking at Gavin Williams' page, his four seamer. I can look at. The pit, the pitch characteristics, the results, ground ball rate, swing and strike rate for all that stuff. Switch over to slider. So that that's one that I want to give a shout out as well. Pitcherless, their player pages have gotten really really useful. I'm happy you brought that up, Chris, because it, what I've done a lot this offseason is when you look at a player's page on Pitcherless, you look at their repertoire, you quick click on the All tab, and it'll show you all their pitches, and you can see swinging strike rate on each individual mm-hmm. pitch, which is harder to do on Fangraphs because you have to go into the splits and you have to go to a specific pitch and mm-hmm. it just takes longer. Here you can see it all on one page. Again, so it's it, not to disparage Fangraphs because I use them all the time, but it's just it's a different way of looking at the data. So, so PitcherList has swinging strike rate for individual pitches mm-hmm. and contrasting. That's in contrast to Baseball Savant having whiff rate. Correct. Yeah, whiff rate. Individual pitch. Okay. Whiff rate is whiffs divided by swings. Swinging strike rate is whiffs divided by total pitches I think would be the best I, way to I say think yeah. e- I think they both basically serve the same purpose it's just a matter of familiarizing yourself with what a baseline is in yep. each mm-hmm. of them so you can know if a pitcher's pitch is especially good at that or not but and, anyway. and I'll also point out for injuries prosportstransactions.com yep is invaluable because they you can search any given player, you can search every time they've missed a game, every time they've gone on the IL, every time they've been called up or down to the minors. So that that's super useful. Fox Sports actually recently added, um, or I don't know if they recently did, but their player pages have a player's full injury history as well. Baseball Prospectus has really good injury tools. Um, I think the four-year injury dashboard, the recovery tracker, uh, has that, that's proved really useful when I'm looking for uh, injury data, like looking to compare how long certain guys have missed with a certain type of injury. So, yeah. And then I've got lists on Twitter with every beat writer for every team. <laughs> uh, so yeah, there, there's a lot of a lot. Yeah, of just, just 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 uh, just 
Yeah, just follow all of the people I'm following on Twitter, and you'll do fine. <laughs> I can if look, I'll, I'll I can post the link to the list if you want. Yeah, I have something you similar. Subscribe Chris, like, to it. Yeah, I have it set up with uh, MLB beat writers, and every off season, I just literally search Pirates beat and on Twitter, and mm-hmm. I add, I follow, and add anyone who comes up and seems like a beat writer or whatever a writer somewhere, and I add that to the list. So it's just the easiest way to to track live information. And I know Twitter and X could get crazy at times, but it is a really useful tool if you, if you mm-hmm. use it the right way. So uh, yeah, just being able to see live up-to-date information from people then, who are out at the games is a very valuable tool this time of year. I've got a notification set up for, I get notification on my phone every time John Heyman, John Morosi, Ken Rosenthal, right? probably a couple other Pass. guys every time they tweet, Jeff Passan. Passing, so. Yeah. It's less useful yeah. when it's like, hey, look at this podcast. But like, <laughs> that's that's the way I never fall for fake tweets. There you go. Because if I didn't get it on my phone, it's not real. All right. Well, we're going to wrap there. Chris and I are off to First Pitch Florida this weekend down in uh, Clearwater. So if anyone is in the area or if you're going to be at First Pitch Florida, we're going to go to some spring training games. Don't be a stranger. Come help, say hello and uh, we'll have some fun. For Scott and Chris, I am Frank. Thanks as always for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. And we'll be back again next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.